up, everybody? This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Rich Cray and I am Matt Hofeld. Um, interesting week in college sports in general with uh, two of the Power Five conferences deciding that they don't want to risk it for the biscuit and play college football this fall. Oklahoma in the Big 12 says they're in, as well as the SEC and the ACC. So the first question, Rich, that just kind of comes up uh, – as we talk, I mean, we got some Oklahoma football recruiting uh, to go over uh, Jalen Redmond. We got to talk about that. But he- here's the first thing that just is the hot topic is when you take out um, when you take out the SEC and you take out the ACC. Sorry, I'm, I'm messing that up. When you take out the Pac-12 and you take out the Big Ten, you're removing from the top five. Number one, you're moving Ohio State who I said was the second best team in the nation going into the season. But you're also removing Penn State, who was number seven, and you're removing Oregon, who's number nine. What does this do as far as ranking the top four, top five? And then what does it do as far as the, the favorites for the playoff? Who, who, who takes that spot of Ohio State? Let me start off by saying this, because officially – I don't believe that it changes much in the grand scheme of things. You've got to look at how many times has the Big Ten put a team into the national championship game, and we can go all the way back to the 2000s, excuse me, not to the 2000s, but to the year 2000 if we would like to. The Big Ten has not been a consistent player on that scale, on that level, since that point in time. Yes, they've put teams in the national championship picture. Yes, they've won national championships. But on a consistent basis, it just hasn't happened. Like, I think we, and when everyone talks or has this conversation, they're comparing it to the SEC because the SEC has had the longest string of success. And then it's kind of shifted. We saw USC in that conversation. We saw the Pac-12 with Oregon in that conversation as well. We've seen Texas. We've seen Oklahoma kind of in that conversation. But no one quite compares to the SEC. Until you can dethrone them on a consistent basis, I'm not willing to say it completely changes the landscape of what we expect. I'm not saying that it even changes who the national favorite should be because I believe for the time being that's coming from the ACC. It's not coming from the SEC. It's not coming from the Big Ten. It's not coming from the Big 12, Matt, and it's not coming from the Pac-12. So when we begin to look and we have this conversation of who replaces Ohio State in that grouping of four It's very easy and it's very natural, myself included, to say that it's most likely going to be an SEC team and it's most likely going to be Georgia. Yeah, but Alabama's one who got first place votes. So you got you got three schools with first place votes. Clemson taking the lion's share, Ohio Ohio State second, and then Alabama got four first place votes, and then you got Georgia and LSU stacked up behind. From previous podcasts, we've talked about the fact that Georgia they're a paper tiger. Yes, pun intended, but Sorry, LSU, Paper Tiger, but Georgia and 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 Alabama, you know, I think it comes it comes between those two schools, and it may be one of those things, one of those years with the with the absence of the Pac ten, uh, Pac twelve, and the Big Ten that we see two schools of the SEC represent the Final Four. That may very well be the case, and that's essentially what I'm advocating for when you consider what what the current equation is. I think with the 9 plus 1 format, 
I, I don't remember if we had spoken about this, Matt, you and I on the last podcast, but I do believe that it hurts the Big 12 because of the strength of schedule, because of the national perception. There are leagues that, that do have a hand up in that category, and the Big 12 is not one of them, nor is the ACC, but it's hard to argue with a team like Clemson who has been on the national stage, who has competed in the college football playoff, and who has won it with the current quarterback, mind you. I'm looking at the Big 12 in the 9 plus 1. I'm saying they are lagging behind because of the, the teams that currently play 1 to 10 in those rankings stacked up against 1 to 10 against those that are in the SEC. So I am, again, advocating that it would be a top four if we were to go into the season right now without Ohio State in the equation. I don't really care about the Pac-12. I didn't think they were going to be a right. major player in this. And so I'm only considering Oklahoma from the Big 12, Clemson from the ACC, and then who's, who's going to represent those two other spots from the SEC? Alabama has been that perennial name that has consistently been thrown out, that has consistently proved that they can get to where everybody wants to be and they can make it to that championship game. So I'm going to throw them in the conversation. And Georgia has been nipping at their heels for years now under Kirby Smart. Again, it's a very easy thing for me to do to throw Alabama and Georgia into the top four, into that college football playoff at the end of the season. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is is don't overlook Florida kind of lurking in, in the background there as well. But, again, when you're talking about the SEC playing more games than what the Big 12 is, and you say a stronger conference from top to, to bottom, that could actually end up hurting the SEC and helping the Big 12 if, say, two schools like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State run what, – what happens I – mean, take this for, for example. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State run the table. Sooners – Let's say the Sooners lose Bedlam in Norman, but then win the rematch in the Big 12 championship game. Then you've got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, both with one loss. Is it possible the Big 12 gets two in? We may have to come back to that topic later on. It might appear in something like, I don't know, the uh, true or false section. Okay, Oklahoma's schedule is, is out. The Sooners will start the season on September 12th against Missouri State. Kansas State's the first Big 12 opponent, followed by Iowa State on the road, Texas in Dallas, TCU on the road, Texas Tech, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma State in Norman, at West Virginia and Baylor. You know, West Virginia never was a big deal for me, Richard, until I saw at the end of the year, Oklahoma's got to go to Morgantown, November 28th. That's always going to be snowy and cold. Does that I know you're kind of a West Virginia guy as well with, with family uh, connections. Morgantown doesn't bother me in September or really even October. But once you get into November, particularly late November, Morgantown becomes a little bit of a bother for me. Does it, though? I, I, I mean, I mean, just think back to those really? games. Think back to the, to the Kenny Steele's game with, from Landry Jones where they checked down and, and won on the last second play. Think back to the Samaje Pirine coming out party game. I mean, that, those were cold, snowy nights, and those were shootouts. And, you know, weather elements always seem to kind of have some sort of role in that. You do have to consider what West Virginia has. I get what you're saying about the time of year. It's a little bit of a different climate, a different environment than what we're used to here, specifically in Norman. But West Virginia, I, I will say this, little sidebar here, okay? When, before the, the schedule revision, 
we as a family were actually planning to have our family reunion at a tailgate in Morgantown before going to the game. I don't know that everybody would have gotten tickets. I don't know that everybody would have walked through that gate, but there are a select few who are heavy, heavy fans who would have been there no matter what. Needless to say, when I look at the offense of West Virginia, I do think it's lacking. I think they have some players on the defensive side of the ball who can be disruptors, just hasn't come together 100% for them. We haven't seen that cohesiveness of the defense as a whole. They struggled last year pretty mightily, not not because of their defensive play, more so because of the offensive play. If they can't fix a lot of the issues that are currently going on, that's not a game that scares me, Matt. Regardless of if it's played in September or if that one's played in November, it's not a game in and of itself that scares me. Sooners will be rounding out their 2020 football schedule with Baylor on December 12th, and then they uh, are being flexible, excuse me, December 5th, being flexible with the Big 12 championship game being either the 12th of December or maybe even as late as the 19th of December. Rich, let's talk about the scheduling of the Big 12 for just a second. I think it's pretty genius to have a kind of a floating Big 12 championship game. You get to the end of the season, your two best teams have maybe one or two players that have COVID or they're in, they're in some sort of lockdown or isolation. And then you've got time. You've got for that last game, you got, you could put up to two weeks to get your guys healthy and get them back out on the field to make the best possible matchup for the big 12 championship. You also see that flexibility throughout the season. I like, I like what the, I like the approach the big 12 made. I, I like how they said, Hey, we're going to try to make this work and we're going to put in precautions and we're going to put in different measures, testing three times a week. We're going to, you know, we're, we're going to do what we can do to make a football season happen. And that includes flexibility. And I, I think fans are okay with being flexible if it gets some football ultimately. I do agree with that final statement that you've made fans being okay with flexibility. What I've thoroughly enjoyed about the way that the big 12 as a whole, more specifically the commissioner Bob Bowlesby has approach or his approach to the situation has not to been any, not to make any knee jerk or rash decisions. I think ultimately we saw some decisions come down from the Pac-12, first from the Big Ten and then from the Pac-12, canceling the non-conference portion of the schedule. Matt, you and I sat here in the same room in which I told you that it would only be a matter of weeks before the rest of the conferences followed suit. Fingers were crossed that that didn't happen. We know now that that has happened. And in the wake of the decision of the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 going to a, a plus one format with one non-conference opponent on the schedule, what we've seen is that the Big 10 is once again, as well as the Pac-12, trying to lead the charge with canceling or postponing, excuse me, postponing a fall football season in hopes of playing in the spring. There's a lot of turmoil that's going to be caused for those players, we had a, a lunch one day, Matt, where you and I were discussing, amongst others at the table, we were discussing what it means for if a spring season were to happen in those conferences, what it means for those who are hoping to enter in the NFL draft and how that impacted them. Because they're not just going to sit and twiddle their thumbs and wait until the spring. They're going to actively be working and working with guys who they know can get them in shape to perform well at an NFL combine, and they're not going to risk 
that injury. At least that's what we largely believed and had agreed upon. And so I am looking at it as a whole and saying, I, I appreciate the big 12s approach. I do like the flexibility with the scheduling being pushed back to September 26th for conference play. It does give these three players, major players who are remaining in the conversation, a little bit of, of wiggle room, if anything were to happen, but yeah, flexibility is key in this situation. I like, I like what the big 12 has done and I, I'm hoping that, that we do get that fall season that we've all clamored for. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's zero chance in my opinion, a guy like Justin Fields plays in the spring. I just, I, you know, happy, happy go lucky. If you're, if you're the big 10 and you make it happen in the spring, but you're, you're going to be missing some star power because if you're, if you're a guy like Justin Fields where you know you're going to get drafted, you're going to get drafted high enough to make life-changing guaranteed money, you're right, Rich. You're, you're going to be working out somewhere, getting ready for the combine mm -hmm. in February and then getting drafted in April, and you're just going to have to tell your boys. And, and I feel sorry for a guy like Trey Sermon because a guy like Trey Sermon, he could use another year. You know, he, he could use a year mm -hmm. to show that he's healthy. So he may be a guy that plays in the spring, but, again, he's playing spring football same time he's getting drafted and the, the minute the Miami Dolphins own your rights, are you still, are you still an amateur? And can the Dolphins say, Hey, you know what, Trey, uh, we've seen enough from you. We've drafted you. We realize you have a big 10 championship coming up, uh, but we would prefer you not play. Yeah. There, there's a lot of questions that have not been asked. A lot of heavy hitting questions that haven't even been considered at this point. <laughs> Matt, one of, one of the craziest things to me is what's going to happen with the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. We're a week from classes beginning. Are, are we going to see – I'm not talking about someone coming in like a Justin Fields transferring to an SEC school per se in hopes of competing for a championship and immediately starting over – or taking over a starting job as I mentioned, less than a month from the season. I, I don't know that that's going to happen, but talk about how crazy it would be if a Wyoming were to inherit 22 elite-level players who could disrupt the entire uh, college football playoff. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just, there's so much going on. And I, don't, I think we're getting pretty close to fish or cut bait time if you're going to try to transfer – um, and, and you, you look yeah, at, you got six days, you look at scholarship limits and so forth. And, um, I, I, again, I'm thinking if you're a high caliber guy, like a Justin Fields and you're in the big 10, are you in the pac 12? Look, those guys, you, you see all the time. It is not uncommon for a guy to set out the bowl game in preparation of the NFL draft, you know? So the bowl game is going to be in December. The NFL draft is going to be in, in April and you're sitting out four months in advance to start preparing for the NFL draft. Again, zero chance those guys are going to play football in the spring right. if they know they're going to get drafted. He's Rich. I'm Matt. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. We're thankful that you're here. Uh, make sure to give us a subscription, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find us. We're thankful you did. And feel free to contribute to the conversation. Okay, Rich, Jalen Redman gets arrested for DUI this week. It's something that you posted at Heartland Sports. Um, I've got some thoughts on this, but I, I want to hear your take first. Matt, I don't know that I've actually taken time to formulate an opinion because I've, I'm looking at the track record of what's happened at the University of Oklahoma. I'm looking at what happens when players deal with legal issues off the field, such of, uh, of this 
nature. We know the priority of guys like Jalen Redmond being mm-hmm. on the field, especially with the suspensions that are currently out there of other players like a Ronnie Perkins. Much of that focus, much of that attention, much of what people wanted to center their talks on became Jalen Redmond. If he sits out any, I don't know that it's going to be a complete lack or failure of the defensive line when the team steps out onto the field. But I do know that it's going to cause some major changes that, that are going to be felt not just by that the linemen, not just felt in the trenches, but it's going to be felt behind them in a pretty significant way. So when I'm thinking about this initially, it's, it's what's the, the repercussions of the action. We don't know at this point in time. Nothing has been released. No official statements have come from the program or the university. So I'm literally waiting until that happens before I begin to, to digest and understand what that means, not only for Jalen Redmond as a human being, but also for the future of, of his career at Oklahoma and what it means for the team this year. Yeah, you know, and it's I, – I don't know what Lincoln Riley is going to do as far as punishment for Jalen Redmond. I do think that we have seen a track record with Oklahoma coaches, you know, Bob Stoops moving forward, the last two coaches, um, where, where the punishment kind of fits the crime. You know, I, I, whatever they decide to do, there's a reason that they decide to do it, and typically it's fair. Um, I don't know that unless this comes out to be somehow, some way, some sort of giant mistake, I don't know how Redmond doesn't miss playing time, most likely the Missouri State game and, and potentially into Kansas State. I, I don't know that. I do know it, it puts, a, it puts a, a different spotlight on a guy like LaRon Stokes, who suddenly was looking as maybe a reserve guy to a guy who's going to be thrust in there. It does – it does well for me as a fan to know that Oklahoma has the top two junior college defensive tackles from last recruiting season on campus, and they're already expected to be uh, contributors in Perry and Winfrey and Josh Ellison. I think Josh Ellison may be more comparable to a Jalen Redmond uh, than, than, than anybody else. But, you know, LaRon Stokes is the guy that I start looking at in this situation as well. But for me, it's all about the decision-making. I mean, you just you just received word. It, it goes back to um, almost even the, what happened with the Big 12 championship. You just won the Big 12 championship. You got a group of players who go out and do some things. Regardless of what you think, regardless of what culture says, it's against the rules. So, so you go out and you, you, you celebrate the Big 12 championship. Now you're ineligible for not just the playoff, but part of the, the next season. Jalen Redmond, the Big 12 just saved the college football season, just saved it by saying we're going to move forward with the ACC and the SEC, and we're going to make football happen this fall. And then the and, and part of that statement was we're going to trust these student athletes to make the right decisions, to not put themselves in situations where they become susceptible to something along the lines of being exposed to COVID and that evening, that very evening, Jalen Redmond gets popped for DUI. So I, to me, I'm more worried about the decision-making progress process. Has, not only has Jalen Redmond learned a lesson from this, but has, has the players around Jalen Redmond seen, okay, 
guys, we can't do this. This is not something as a team that we can allow each other to do in an effort to not only save the season, but to potentially look at a national championship run, another Big 12 championship run, or a playoff run, or whatever you think. I mean, this is the University of Oklahoma. Expectations are always going to be high. But this is an extraordinary year where precautions have to be as high as they've ever been. And when you see something like this happen, again, on the eve that the Big 12 saves college football, to me, I'm just scratching my head thinking, these guys have to make have to make better decisions. They have to be in a situation where their decision-making process is reevaluated and encouraged to be different than what, it would, what we just saw the example of. One of the things that, that has come up, I was talking with the boss over at my office, and what he had mentioned was players needing structure. You know, when we look at Oklahoma, when we look at the season being pushed back by several weeks, all of a sudden the decision was to, to mm-hmm. postpone workouts, to postpone practices. These players inherited a ton of free time. And I know from the conversations that I've had that there are people who need structure in their lives. And when that structure deteriorates, when it completely vanishes like it did for the football team, granted, they probably are still working out. I did read while they were allowed to go home, an overwhelming majority of the players stayed on campus and were doing voluntary workouts, individual workouts. So there is some semblance of structure, but again, it basically all fell apart. I don't know if that's the personality type that Jalen Redman is, but I can see where it leads to opportunity because all of a sudden you don't have this game, this sport taking up a majority of your free time not saying that's why he got in trouble I'm not saying that we excuse the decision that was made but again I'm looking at Jalen Redmond as a guy who not only admitted his mistake but is attempting to own that mistake and move forward with the rest of his life right and and hopefully you know hopefully we, we've seen players we've seen this go both ways we, we've seen players get in trouble get punished and get everything worked out and go on to be not only just great football players, but model citizens. But we've also seen this kind of turn south at this point where a player gets in trouble and then um, that leads to more trouble, which leads to more frustration, which leads to more trouble. And it just, it snowballs down. So hopefully, um, hopefully it works out better uh, for Jalen Redmond. But as far as the punishment goes, again, I wouldn't expect to see him on the field against Missouri State, but whatever Lincoln Riley, I trust Lincoln Riley, Rich. Whatever he decides to do, he looks at the situation. Here's one thing that's fans that we got to just come to grips with is that nobody knows more about this situation than Lincoln Riley. And so whatever Lincoln Riley ends up doing to punish Jalen Redmond, we have to just trust it's the best decision. Mm -hmm. And we also have to, you know, we have to throw away this because we're going to get enough of this from opponents that, well, Lincoln Riley is going to do what he can do to win the games. And so therefore Jalen Redmond's punishment is going to be this. I, I, I don't think there's any, anything in Lincoln Riley's history that would prove a statement like that true. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that you make that statement because we oftentimes see what, what the surface level punishment is. We're not in the locker room with those guys. We're not seeing what extra workouts are being assigned to a guy has, who has broken, whether that's team rules or a law in the legal system. But I can guarantee you, Matt, from the practices that I participated in, 
I played basketball. Basketball was, was one of the sports that I fell in love with at a young age. And I had a coach who on it, we were doing pick and roll. Our, our system was based upon pick and roll um, in a certain offense when we were playing specific teams or, or recognize a specific defense was being played a la man-to-man defense, if you weren't aware of that. But we would utilize the pick and roll. And I, I didn't think I was one of the tallest kids in the school, but I knew how to be physical and I knew how to get rebounds. So I played the four position. When I set a screen at the top of the key and I, I turned the wrong way, I w- was punished for that. It's something so insignificant, but it's something I'll, I'll never forget. And it's something I would never repeat. So there are a lot of things that go on that we just don't see that are part of that reprimand, that are part of that punishment, that are part of shaping these young men into to what you had labeled as a model citizen. And I believe that that to happen. I don't believe it's just a, oh, we see them sit out for half a game or we see them lose their starting role for a half of a game. Whatever that might be, lose their captain status. Whatever that might be, we don't see the full extent of that punishment. And so I don't think it's right to base judgment just upon what's, what's released to public or what we can see with the physical eye. Yeah, hundred percent. Speaking of the public though, Oklahoma announces that 25% capacity for fans at the games. If you're a season ticket holder, you're given the choice to opt out now or to kind of enter into a lottery type situation for the home games, as well as the Texas game. Now it's, it's kind of a catch 22 because if you opt in, say, I want to go to the home games, then you're still not guaranteed that you're going to get your tickets for 2020. Tickets are going to be in allotments of two, three, and four. If you don't get tickets or if you opt out, you don't get a refund. What you get is all that money credited towards the 2021 season. So we've, we've been talking about Oklahoma and the revenue system and all that stuff taking place. Uh, for this year well we know how they're going to earn some of that revenue is that 20 25 percent seating capacity 25 percent of capacity meaning you know they're gonna I, you know i think season ticket holders are around 85 80 to 85 percent capacity for the stadium so they're they're going to keep money from a lot of people who aren't getting tickets this year and that money just gonna be transferred to the 2021 season you know i'm a season ticket holder and i I would prefer to have that money back, but I'm not going to make a big stink out of it. You know, my wife and I talked about if we don't get the tickets, you know, well, we we know already we're ahead of the schedule for for 2021. But I'm a little bit surprised at 25% capacity. I really thought it'd be closer to 50. What are your thoughts on that, Rich? It's the right call in the long run. There are still major concerns from a majority of people there are concerns that also surround the what happens when you walk into a stadium because people are going to pass, Matt. There, there's no way that you can't physically – okay, you won't physically come into contact with someone, hopefully, but you'll pass by them within the six-feet CDC guideline. You will pass by someone in lesser space than that at a stadium. I think 25% is a good number. Why? That's 20,000. That's, that's still a, a considerable amount of people to descend upon Norman and to sit in one location. But more than that, what I'm curious to know is what's the seating arrangement going to look like? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to know how far 
they're going to be spaced out. But is it going to, are, is the university saying, look, we're limiting the 25%, the 20,000 people to that first bowl, or are we going to start putting people in the upper sections as well, just to maintain yeah. some of these guidelines that have been put in place by the CDC? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you need to use the, the upper, upper levels. I really I don't, don't either. I, I think between. That's what I'm the, saying. If, if you're a season ticket holder and you're mm. part of that 25%, you must have really drawn the short stick to be stuck way up in the nose. Exactly. Bleeds. Right. Because especially that, that newest section, um, I think between the East and West sides is probably where they're going to stick. Most of those people, mm -hmm. depending on what they do with the band, uh, which is still, we, we know the bands won't travel, uh, but what will the band do at home? And also what will happen with the media? Because you got to look, we already know Oklahoma state is limiting the mm -hmm. number of people in the press box, I assume the University of Oklahoma is going to follow suit. So are they going to allow the media to have a section in either the north or the south end zone? That would be my guess. Um, so I think you could put, you could easily put, I think, 10,000 on each sideline. 10,000 on the east side, 10,000 on the west side. And you got it's, that. Go it's going to look like the spring game. Yeah, well, and, and that's well, it's going to look a little bit less than because the, the spring game usually draws between 25 and 40,000 based on what happens. So it's going to look a little bit more sparse well, than that. The most recent year I went, it was cold. Yes. And there were threats of rain. Right. So um, it was not, it was not an And there was a terrible concert. Stadium. I can't remember who it was, but. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> I, I know exactly who it was. Okay. It was well, Chase it, Atkins. Well, look, Trace Atkins, good for you that you got paid to come play, but it wasn't fun. Um, it's because you don't like country music. I don't. I, I don't. There's your right. problem. <laughs> we got to talk uh, a couple of crystal balls uh, thrown Oklahoma's way for some big-time recruits, as well as true or false. It's my turn to ask the questions of Rich. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Okay, Rich, um, kind of one out of the ordinary crystal ball comes Oklahoma's way this last week, as well as one that's fully expected. The Sooners get another crystal ball uh, for the Wheaton kid, uh, the, the number two running back, five-star running back out of uh, the state of Texas, number two running back nationally. Um, I, 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 he's only got two crystal balls. Both of them are pointing towards Oklahoma Texas gets a crystal ball commitment for this kid, the Johnson kid, who is the other uh, big-time running back kid out of, uh, out of Texas. So I, I, I don't know that there's any surprise with Wheaton coming with another crystal ball this, this week. I am surprised when I looked at that he only has two. Um, I expected with as much talk out there about Wheaton that, that the number of predictions going his way for Oklahoma would be – well, way more than two. Are you surprised it's only at two at this point? I am a little bit surprised. Wheaton is one of the, the running backs that we have long associated with Oklahoma, as you've alluded to, yourself, myself included in that realm. I thought he would be one of the commits back on July 4th when we ultimately got the commitment of, of Caleb Williams. We know that that didn't happen. We know that Oklahoma is still holding that spot because there haven't been any – any other telltale signs that another running back was going to commit as a part of this 2021 class. I do think he is that one. I think he's holding out. I don't know what the reason for that is. Maybe it was hopes of, of having an on-campus visit. Maybe he wanted to. Well, he did have line. an on-campus visit. 
He Maybe was he one wants of the few that line for the right. virtual visit. I would I, be. I, I'm. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'd be curious to know if he's if he's going to be one of the guys that comes to this Sooner Summit next week that Caleb Williams is putting together. Um, I, I'd be really curious to know all the names and all the faces that is going to be there, and if Wheaton's going to be one of those guys. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. It's very likely that he is included in that or has at least been communicated to something has been sent his direction about that summit. What are the results going to be? Is Wheaton even going to be there? We won't know that until likely it's over. Needless to say, Matt, Samar Wheaton, I, I've long associated him with this recruiting class with the University of Oklahoma. I think he will commit. I don't have a timeline for that, but for only two projections, for two predictions falling in the way of OU, I am a little bit surprised by that as I thought it would have at least four to five. Yeah, the one the one crystal ball prediction that came Oklahoma's way this last week that was, to me, a little bit um, off the cuff surprising was Savion Bird, four-star defense, uh, excuse me, four-star offensive tackle, that most people thought was heading for SMU. And don't let that fool you. The Mustangs are, are a pretty capable team. Um, and this, this kid, 6'5", 265, has 21 scholarship offers. Matt, he's, he's, he's up from there. Okay, his, well, last, his last measurements were 6'7", 315. Well, I'm just going by what, uh, what I, I saw when we wrote the article. Um, but um, – LSU, SMU, Texas, Oklahoma kind of seem to be some of the top dogs in his recruiting class. And for whatever reason, he was drawn to stay towards closer to Duncanville, Texas, and go to play for SMU, a team that's kind of a, a decent program in their conference. They're never going to be uh, where, where they play right now. They're, they're never going to be a, a power five, you know, playoff contender. But they're putting guys in the NFL as well, and, uh, and they're pretty salty. But just out of the blue, here comes a prediction. This kid's going to end up at the University of Oklahoma. And now most predictions still have him going to SMU. But, man, this is a kid, when, when you look at some of the other targets, like, like a Bryce Foster, like a Tristan Lee, he fits right in in that mold as a guy that you'd like to see Bill Biedenbull work on him and, and transition him from a high school senior into an NFL draft pick. The two names that immediately come to mind when you mention out of the blue prediction for Savion Bird, Tristan Lee, Bryce Foster, are there any, with, with this current prediction, are there any reasons that we should believe a guy like Bryce Foster is truly headed to a program like Texas A&M over the University of Oklahoma, right. regardless of what Bill Biedenboe has done with past offensive linemen, has done with past players at his specific position? We know Oklahoma can churn offensive linemen into the NFL hand over fist. What we don't know is how each of these different players fits into the equation, fits into the system, and fits into what Biedenboe is building here in Norman. I love, I love each and every single one of those guys as a player for their potential of what they can do on the collegiate level. I just know you're not going to get them all. Mm. Does this Savion Bird projection say that Bryce Foster, is it really a nod towards saying Bryce Foster's headed elsewhere. I think Cause I, I still think Tristan Lee is, I don't want to consider him a long shot for the university of Oklahoma, but I still think Oklahoma is very much in the mix. 
Well, see, I, I feel opposite. I, I feel like if, if it's I, – I do think they can get all three. I, I don't see why they can't get all three of those guys. But if – see, I thought – when I saw the crystal ball prediction for Johnson, LJ Johnson, go into Texas, I thought, okay, that, that's, that just solidifies Wheaton not much more for the University of Oklahoma. I, I didn't have that thought when I – with the Savion Bird crystal ball prediction – but if it was that type of situation, to me, it would indicate more of a Tristan Lee going somewhere else not, than, than Bryce Foster. I, I think Bryce Foster, I still consider him a lot closer to Norman than College mm-hmm. Station as far as his collegiate choice. Right, and, and Tristan Lee, I get complete different part of the country, has that connection, Virginia, with mm-hmm. Caleb Williams. I was – I'm really leaning into the idea that they have some kind of bond that they have an established relationship, which would help Tristan Lee be swayed into committing to, to Oklahoma. But I get, um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have his profile pulled up or anything. If I'm not mistaken, he was a long time lean towards Ohio state. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? I I believe so. And and it's interesting what's happening with Ohio state right now that they've had two top recruits decommit over the last week as well. So we're seeing that, that draft class that I had said was just no one can catch them. We're seeing Mm -hmm. it start to be a little bit on shaky ground. I'm not going to say it's crumbling, but it's shaking a little bit. And if all these players who are sitting out the year, whether that is their own decision or whether that is a conference decision or whether that will eventually be an NCAA decision, everyone who's sitting out this season has been granted eligibility for softball, Mm -hmm. for baseball. I don't know why they wouldn't follow suit for football. And you do have to think that that changes the landscape. It changes the equation for a lot of these guys who are hoping to come in compete for a starting role, compete for early playing time. And then three years make that leap because of their status, because of their current ranking three years down the road, making that leap into the NFL as a high first, second, third round draft pick. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see because they definitely, regardless of whether you sit out because you just don't want to play and risk it if you're in the, in the Big 12 or the ACC or the SEC, if you say, I, I, just, I don't want to play this year, I'm going to sit it out, you get an extra year. So that benefits Odd. a guy like – like the oddest thing to me. It benefits a guy like Caleb Kelly. You and I talked about that off the air th- this morning. Um, but if you're in the Big 10 or the Pac-12, you've already been granted an extra year of eligibility. Um, and, and that's a good point because you think as a receiver, like a Buka, somebody who's going to come in and say, boom, instant starter. Well, now all of a sudden that, that depth chart may be a little bit deeper than mm-hmm. what you were expecting when and you who, arrive. Who knows if there's even scholarships available. We right. haven't even talked about the, the scholarship limit as it pertains to being granted that extra year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. But Patty Gasso has gone on record numerous times asking that question and attempting to address if we retain all of our seniors which was was three i get that but if they retained all of their seniors how does that change how many scholarships they'll have for the future because softball is heavily heavily affected by the number of scholarships that they they have in place right yeah well and and you know what softball is also heavily affected by at most universities it's heavily affected by revenue that comes in from football so Pac-12, Big Ten, you know, all of their fall sports Just are crazy. canceled. I think Pac-12 crazy. went ahead and canceled everything for the entire academic year, which is nuts when you look at some of the, the big softball programs out of the Pac-12. But Yeah, and yeah, the return I, of those big softball programs. Right, and so it's going to be interesting to see exactly what the fallout is from this. Um, but 
we've got football for right now, and we're going to still keep uh, covering it and keep loving every second, every precious second that we have with our beloved. We're going we're gonna to enjoy it. All right, we've got uh, true or false coming up. My turn to ask Rich the questions. All right, Student Nation podcast, Rich DeCray. I'm Matt Hofeld. Um, one of our, I don't know how it is for you, Rich. Um, one of my favorite segments that we do is the true or false segment. Um, I very much more enjoy being on this end than on your end. I get to ask the questions this week. You get to answer them. It's been an interesting week story-wise because the, the threat of COVID taking away the college football season really was the story and then everything else was seemed to be pretty minor after that um i know like for example at heartland sports we quit doing our position rankings we've got defensive backs to go we quit doing that until we knew hey we're gonna have some football oh yeah yeah so now we're gonna get position rankings back so it's an interesting set of questions i will tell you this they all have to do with football um and so here we go are you ready i'm ready ready as i'll ever be sure or false the Big Ten and the Pac-12 made the wrong decision. I can't answer that with a true or false statement. Let me answer it. I'll answer it with a true. And here's my reasoning as to why I believe those two conferences have made the wrong decision is because they've made it too early, in my opinion. Granted, I am entitled to my opinion, even if it's the wrong one. And my opinion says that they made the decision too early. There are, there, there will be information that comes out. There has been information that's been coming out about possible treatments, as well as the development of vaccines. Whether we approve those vaccines especially considering that the most recent one I've heard of is coming from Russia is a completely different story, but there's progress that's being made in an attempt to completely eradicate or to see a heavy decline of COVID-19. As that information became more and more readily available, I think the Big Ten using the current projections, using the current curve as well as the Pac-12 made a decision, but hadn't factored in how that's, that's changing. And so again, I, I don't want to answer that question with a true or false, but I am answering it with a true and saying that they simply made the decisions too early. Okay. And I, that was the, to cancel the whole season. I think the decision was made too early. And I agree a hundred percent with that, by the way, I think it's way too early, even though you look, we're, we're uh, less than a month away from Oklahoma starting their football season. I, I, I agree. I think it's too early. Okay. Number two, true or false with the PAC 12 and the big 10 setting out and the ACC, the SEC and the big 12 moving forward with college football. This is heading us towards a contested national championship for 2021 or for 2020 that is true unfortunately i don't think that it should be but you do have to look at what ohio state would have fielded this year in in an attempt to capture that national championship everyone thought last year they would go toe-to-toe with clemson we uh excuse me not clemson LSU, we know that they didn't make it there. They didn't have that opportunity to battle in LSU and said it was Clemson edging out Ohio State and making that, that national championship game. I'm looking at the, 
the player that Justin Fields is, the decision-making, the maturity, the poise that he's shown, and say you can never count a team out when they've got a leader on the field that is of the caliber of Justin Fields. It will be contested, but it's not to say that the best team in the country is automatically sitting out. It's not even to say that the Big Ten would have put a, would have put a team in the championship game to begin with. So it's very difficult for me to say, yes, people uh excuse me no people won't contest it but because i do believe an overwhelming majority will it'll have an asterisk by it yeah regardless of who wins uh people are going to say well they didn't play that ohio state team you know it's kind of like oklahoma's 2000 national championship sooners went undefeated that year 13 and 0 they they beat florida state in the bcs championship game but people were like yeah but they didn't have to play miami they wouldn't have beat miami they beat florida state but they wouldn't be i think that's well, we're heading towards with this Clemson or Alabama yeah. or Oklahoma, whoever it is, they're going to say, well, yeah, but they didn't have to play that Ohio State team. But that's how it was going to work every year in the BCS. I wanted right. to propose this year, if the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 would team up, a potential 12 or 16 team playoff. Would have been fun, but not very realistic, but would have been a whole lot of fun. But since you just said that, well, let me throw out question number three, true or false. There are teams – well, institutions, both within the Big Ten and within the Pac-12, that are not happy about not playing football this fall and have spoken out against the decision and have voiced their displeasure. All of this is a precursor to major conference realignments coming soon. False. On the last portion of your statement, I don't believe that major conference realignments are coming. It, had you said a dismantling of the NCAA was imminent, I would have immediately said true, because I do believe that that is more likely to happen than us seeing major conference realignment. The only conference that stands to benefit anything in the conference realignment would be the Big 12, and they're not going to entice any of these major players or independents to join the conference at this point. Well, I don't think at this point, but I think those those television contracts are for renewal pretty quick. And, you know, Nebraska left the Big 12 over over less than what's happening and, and in Oklahoma the Big 10. And Oklahoma and Nebraska are scheduled to play next year. Right. So I, I don't know that I can jump on board with you. I think we are going to see some teams jump out of the Pac-12. Explain, Lucy. Well, I just I, – I think that um, – I, I think a team like Nebraska – not happy at all with their position. But I don't think so. Wait, wait, wait. Um, because you you specifically mentioned the Pac-12. I'm just curious if right. well, if some I, teams I, were going to leave and they mm-hmm. were going to come into the the Big 12. Who do you see that being? Who's been the most vocal and outspoken in their disappointment or disapproval of the decision, right. the sweeping decision that they may or may not have really had a, a seat at the table for? Well, let's okay. Let's let's jump into this. Uh, This is just speculation on my part. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to stick with Nebraska not being happy about being in the Big Ten. Now I'm going to jump to the Pac-12. Okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I don't don't think the Arizona schools are happy with the current format. I think both Arizona schools could easily swing towards uh, the Big 12. When you consider Lubbock, Texas, you know, Tucson, Arizona, and Lubbock, Mm -hmm. Texas are not any further away. In fact, they're a lot closer – than Lubbock, Texas, and Morgantown, West Virginia. So I, I think the Arizona schools suddenly become uh, something that, that you look at in the Pac-12. I do think Colorado enjoys where they are in the Pac-12, but I think that they might be open to maybe considering 
coming back to the Big 12 if the Big 12 was looking at expansion. When, when you talk about independence, um, look, this is just a, 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 uh, a new doormat for the Big 12, but New Mexico, is it New Mexico or New Mexico State? New Mexico State's an independent right now. Uh, BYU, it's never going to work, in my opinion, until they are willing to change some of their bylaws. But there are other independents out there that are just kind of, uh, I hate to use this word, but bottom feeders that could use to have some of the money that's going to come in and they can they can participate and be more competitive in, in minor sports outside of football, but they bring football to the table and they bring revenue and another access out towards the West Coast. So those are just something I, I do think it's going to be really interesting I don't expect, I really don't expect the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and the Big 12 to remain exactly the way they are post the next, um, the next big contracts. Because I don't know that West Virginia is going to stay in the Big 12. I think West Virginia has just kind of been on the island. I think West Virginia was thought that maybe Cincinnati or Louisville, somewhere some bridge was coming in and it never did. So I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know that I expect the Mountaineers to stay with this conference through the next contract negotiation. I will say this about BYU is there can be a Notre Dame type approach from BYU as it pertains to their football program, joining a conference, say like the big 12 or even the PAC 12 and, and playing on Saturdays, because I know the big holdup that you're referencing here is the no games, no athletic activities on, on Sundays. Right. Football is very conducive to a schedule like that, which is why I think instead of, keeping their football program independent like Notre Dame has done and letting the basketball, all the other sports join a conference. BYU could do the exact opposite. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, let's move on to, uh, to number four. Uh, number four, Caleb Williams is having the, hosting the Sumer, Sooner Summit in Norman next week. Players coming from all over the United States, Texas, California, Maryland, just to name a few. Oklahoma will receive – now, keep in mind, the coaching staff has nothing to do with this. Lincoln Riley is completely hands-off. This will they're all not be, allowed to. Right. This will all until, be conducted. What, September 30th? This is all going to be done by Caleb Williams. He's doing the tours. He's doing the meetings. He's doing everything. Caleb Williams is, is doing all of this. But, true or false, Oklahoma will receive an unexpected verbal commitment as a result of the Sooner Summit. I'm going to – Are you're talking about the program receiving an unexpected commitment? Yes, or, some football player. Yeah, some football player. Or saying player. that there's a guy that has no crystal ball projections. Exactly, that's what I'm talking about. Right, okay. unexpected. There, there's a player out there that people don't think Oklahoma has a shot at. Or they've written him off somewhere else, but he will commit to the University of Oklahoma I, as a I'm result go of ahead, Caleb Williams. I'm going to go ahead and say that's true. I have my fingers crossed. I have a name selected in my head, but I'm going to hope that that one is indeed true. What I'm questioning now is with this, this rise of social media and leveraging social media and branding of universities towards the players that they're recruiting, now we're seeing Caleb Williams take that to a, a brand new level. Not, not ever done before, but will most likely be replicated. What I'm looking at some of these other universities in Ohio State, a Clemson, a Alabama, a Florida, a Georgia, a Texas, who's going to begin to replicate those? What players ha have the charisma, have mm -hmm. the personality, and have the clout 
and magnetic draw that a Caleb Williams does to begin to do those because he's, he's not in a class of his own. Right. There are other guys that I believe are capable of doing very similar things on a similar scale. Will they? Right. It's going to be and, very interesting to see how this, this ultimately, Matt, I believe will shape recruiting down the road. I agree. And, and I, I will also agree with you that there are other players who have the charisma of Caleb Williams, but they are rare. And they are and, rare. Yeah. So, all right, here we go. Last question. I mean, Number- Baker Mayfield was one of those guys. But, you know, I don't even think Baker Mayfield's charisma was on the same level as Caleb Williams in terms of influencing guys to rally around him at this age. Baker, Way- Baker Mayfield really be kind of came that guy once he was spurned in Lubbock, Texas and started having this big mm-hmm. chip on his shoulder. People, all the underdogs flocked to Baker Mayfield. Caleb Williams, his charisma is a little bit different in that um, – on this level, as a high school senior, he's commanding national attention. And anytime you, as a high school senior, can orchestrate guys coming from California to meet you in Oklahoma, that's, that's a different level. Again, I, I don't know that I would be willing to say there's no one out there like Caleb Williams, but I think they're very rare. And that's not a slide mm-hmm. to Baker Mayfield. His charisma was, I'm, I'm going to give you 115% when I'm on the field and I'm going to expect you to give me at least 95%, you know, and people gave him 115% as well. They matched him. They rallied for Baker Mayfield. They played for Baker Mayfield. Mm -hmm. He was a charismatic guy who owned the team after he got there. Caleb Williams is owning this team before he's even stepped foot uh, as a resident in Norman. Yeah. I can't think. Go ahead. I just say, I think there's just two different types. I can't think of a quarterback in Oklahoma's past outside of Baker Mayfield that has that type of command that can, can ultimately draw the attention of various people, regardless of age, regardless of where they're at in life, regardless of physical location. Like I said, Baker Mayfield's the only one who comes to mind. Jalen Hurts, incredible leader, has the the leadership capacity that we hadn't seen in quarterbacks in quite some time at the University of Oklahoma. But as that vocal, outgoing personality, Jalen Hurts never, never gave that off to me. Right. He was very stoic. Well, he kind of set the – so he was a quiet leader, and he set the the standard for the work ethic. But, uh, again, you're right. He was stoic, and he wasn't that vocal – um, mm-hmm. you know, crotch-grabbing, spinning guy that hey, Baker hey, Mayfield was. I, I think back to Baker Mayfield in the dance circle. Right, right. You know, who, who else was in that circle with him? Nobody. Yeah. Baker Mayfield grabbing the flag at Ohio State. You know what? Everybody met him in the middle. Mm-hmm. It, that, that's the kind of guy that I see Caleb Williams becoming. Right. Well, and, and again, Baker maybe without some of the antics. Baker became <laughs> that guy after he got on campus. Caleb Williams is that guy right now, is what I'm saying. That's mm-hmm. that's the only the only difference between the two. All right, we have one more one more true or false, and I already know your answer here. But I I, um, I wrote this question knowing what your answer was going to be, but I do think it's something worth thinking about. Okay, ACC is going to be run by Clemson this year. We know this. The SEC has Alabama, Georgia. I'm going to say Florida ahead of LSU, three big dogs that are going to eat on each other all season long. The Big 12, with the Pac-12 and the Big 10 sitting out, the Big 12 will actually have 
two representatives in the college football playoff. That one is false. And as you said, you did know my answer. It's not impossible for the Big 12 to get two programs into the college football playoff, given the certain, the certain climate surrounding the football uh, season. I'm looking at Oklahoma State, who has a legitimate shot mm-hmm. of upsetting Oklahoma and becoming that one representative. I'm looking at Iowa State, who, if they can stay healthy, again, has a really good shot of upsetting or surprising a team like an Oklahoma or even an Oklahoma State or even a Texas. I'm not, I'm not heavily considering Texas because I do believe – they're going to install an offensive system that's going to ask Sam Ellinger to throw the ball more often than he has ever done in his right. career. He will see career high pass attempts this season because of that new system. I just don't know that it's going to go as well as they had hoped, but it will give them an opportunity to break in a quarterback who's behind him, who may be better suited to that style of play. Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Iowa state are my Iowa State being the dark horse there are the three candidates that I would choose. I just don't know how they get in over two SEC programs. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, I think it is possible. It was possible once upon a time with Baylor and TCU if the Big 12 would have just have named one One. champion. It could have happened. So I'm I'm, I'm saying all things are possible in the year 2020 because – this has been a year like no other. That's going to wrap it up for us. Again, we'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments. You can drop a comment, heartland-sports.com. You can find an entire article dedicated to this podcast. Whether you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you get us, thanks so much. We would appreciate a continued subscription and a good rating. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Have a great weekend, everybody, and Boomer Sooner.